I am going to try to stay as still as possible because I'm not going to lie, I forgot my belt this morning. And if I move too much, um, it won't be a holy sight, I promise you that. But at the same time, there's a couple of things I just wanted to mention this morning before we get started in the sermon. Um, There's two gentlemen I really want to thank this morning. Because every once in a while, you get a shot in the arm that you need. Every once in a while, you get that boost of encouragement that you need. And I know many of you have probably had weeks like that over the last couple of weeks. And there's certain things that can be said or certain things that can be done that just absolutely move you. And I want to say this in preference to the, or in regards to the fact that if we weren't here together, these things wouldn't be able to take place. Nathan, the growth I've seen in your life over the last six months has been a shot to the arm that I've needed for a long time. To see you not only join, but to see you get involved as a Sunday school teacher, to see you dig into the Word, to hear that you're actually listening to the sermons. (laughs) I just want to thank you, brother. You were more of an encouragement this morning to me than you'll ever know. The other brother is Joey. You did nothing this morning, but you showed up. Joy, you're an answer prayer. That's why you're an encouragement to me this morning. This congregation was on their hands and their knees. And I know you don't take that lightly. But your willingness to be here and your willingness to throw yourself down here this morning, you gave me a charge that I needed. Thank you, brother, for being obedient. But thank you all. Thank you all for being here this morning because, you know, we live in a time when so many things, so many things frustrate me. So many things aggravate me. Yesterday, me and Jennifer were in town and we're, she went in the store and I'm trying to get a text out to her. And I don't know if many of you Verizon people have noticed it or not, but uh, nothing working. Can you hear me now? It has become a real life thing with Verizon. But Even that little moment just got me so frustrated to the point that when I went home, I tried to get Jennifer to sign on to our account, had problems sign on to our account because I was going to write a letter. Then I found out that Verizon has nowhere that you can write a letter on their website and they do it on purpose. Jumped on Facebook, seen everybody having the same complaints. One lady said that she got through and The woman at Verizon said, well, nobody else has complained. Well, if they ain't got service, they can't complain for crying out loud. It's not that, it's not rocket science. But isn't it amazing how something that small can get us so worked up? Something that small can cause us to have such such a heavy burden on our lives that really isn't a heavy one at all. This week, soccer practice started. This time, I am not by myself. Thank God, Brittany Voluntold Joe <laughs> that he was going to be my assistant. And I'm going to tell you something. Coaching U6 soccer 
is the funniest and most frustrating experience ever before in my life. Have you ever tried to herd cats? Have you ever tried to herd cats? Have you ever tried to get six, six-year-olds and under working together as a team to get a ball, a little ball, and a little goal? Sometimes it seems like such a monumental task that you're never going to achieve it. Little things like that really don't mean much, but they frustrate us. And they really frustrate us for no reason. Last week we started talking about rethinking religion. And I'm just going to warn you, over the next couple of weeks, you're going to feel like you hear the same things over and over and over again. And in some cases you will. Because sometimes I think it takes multiple times for us to get the picture. The statement that Jesus makes here in Matthew chapter 7 is one that I think we need to hear over and over and over again. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Then while you're at it, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2 at the same time. Keep a finger in there. Keep something in there. But last week we started talking about these words that Jesus spoke. And we'll get into these words here in a minute. And again, I want to preference this or put this in category of where it's coming from. Jesus has given this as his last words on the sermon, uh, at the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of people will say, well, this is dealing with a loss of salvation issue. But guys, this isn't about a loss of salvation issue here. This is not about a loss of salvation issue at all. Jesus' words are clear. I never knew you. Somebody didn't have something, and then they lost it. What's happening in here is someone thought they had something, they thought they had obtained something. They thought they had reached a goal, but it wasn't what they thought it was. These, before we read it, I want to put this in context too. Jesus is not talking to Muslims here. He's not talking to Hindus. He's not talking to Buddhists or any other religion. Jesus was talking to the ones who were prophets. Jesus was talking to the ones who were the religious leaders of this time. Jesus was talking to the ones that some would say was the church of that time. And that's why I think these words are so much needed in the time that we're in right now. So in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, and we're going to go a little bit past to these verses that we read last week. Starting in verse 21, here's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles. And then, I, being Jesus, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to the man who built his house on rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. Looking into your word, not only for answers to our life, but a guide to our life. Father, this morning, as always, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, to see the truths that your word has for us. I also ask that you would give us ears to hear, but I also ask that you would give us a heart to be obedient to the word that you are putting before us this morning. Father, my heart this morning, my desire this morning for this word is for our lives to be forever transformed by it. Not by the words that I say, but by the words that come from your Bible, Lord. We need you to speak to us this morning. But we also need your help, Lord, to apply these things to our life and to be the disciples that you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week we hit on this group of people. We hit on them pretty hard. This group of people who was prophesying in the name of Jesus. This group of people who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. This group of people who was doing miracles in the name of Jesus. And it is evident here that these people are not of Jesus himself. But yet, they thought they were. And one of the questions that really came to my mind when I was reading this was, where did they get this mindset? Where did this thought come in their mind that they were working for Christ when they were really not? How did they know to do all these things? How did they know to preach? How did they know to cast out demons? How did they know to work miracles? How did they know to do all of these things? And as I'm sitting there reading this, the only thing that came to my mind was learned behavior. We learn behaviors on a daily basis. We watch people. We watch what's going on. We pick up on what others are doing. And we usually take some of those principles and we will apply them to their, our lives. Because on a daily basis, let's be honest, on a daily basis, all of us are trying to do what? We're trying to make our lives better. We're trying to do our best to do what we feel God would have us to do. But when it comes to things in America, we've got to understand this. It's completely different everywhere else. As I was reading that through that book, and I know Nathan made mention of it in our Sunday school, but when I was reading through the book, The Unsaved Christian, 
one thought kept coming to my mind that I never could shake. If the gospel that we preach, if the things that we do, if the religion that we hold only works in America, is it a true belief? If what we do only works here, on this ground, is it true to what this says? Because if it's not true to what this says, then we've got to do exactly what the title of this sermon is called, and we have to rethink our religion. America is a land of the overchurched and the underreached. And we as a church must understand that everything from membership to the holiday services to VBS can either encourage or discourage what we've come to know as cultural Christianity. We have to reevaluate ourselves. What are we preaching? What are we teaching? What are we saying? What are we doing? Because I would like to say, I would like to say that every one of us is on a daily basis teaching and preaching and living a life that is gospel-centered. But the more I even look at my life, guys, the more I see myself tangled up and tied up in this works-based faith that a lot of people are trying to hand down. I feel like, and this is just being honest with you, on a weekly basis, talked about this in Sunday school a bit, but on a weekly basis, I gauge my faithfulness to this on a response. Why is that? Because I like to see things to happen. I like to see people move. But that just goes to show me that I'm still holding on to a religion. Because my faithfulness to what I do has nothing to do with how well I do it. It just has, the only thing it has to do with is if I'm obedient to do it. Am I obedient to do what God says? Jeremiah was told that he would preach and nobody would listen. Isaiah was told the same thing. As Christians, as believers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand this, guys. We're not always going to see evidence to what God's done in us. And we're not going to always see people come to know Christ by the things that we say. But we still have to be careful. What are we teaching? What are we preaching? How are we instructing people on faith? What are we saying in public? And why is this important? Jesus closes out this sermon with this answer. It's important because people are watching. It's important because people are listening. It's important because we are living out our faith on a daily basis. Notice what Jesus said there. He said, everyone who hears the words and acts on them is like a wise man. Faith in Christ is a rock. Our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is a rock. 
Anything that we build on to that, anything that we build on that, and I'm talking about our lives, regardless of what any storm may come, will never blow us away. It won't cause us to falter. It will cause us to have a little bit of inconvenience. It will cause us to have a little bit of grief. But if that is the rock that we're building on, we have nothing to worry. But he also said at the same time, whoever hears and does not act on them is a foolish man and builds on sand. When the rain comes, when the floods come, when the wind comes, it all falls. And listen to how he describes that fall. It is a great fall. Why is it a great fall? It's a great fall because of what we are trusting in. Because there's this mindset when it comes to faith. And it all is based around works. One is I've got to get to this point to make God happy. How many of you have ever felt like that? I've got to do this in my life to make God happy. I have to get rid of this sin to make God happy. I have to start doing this in my life to make God happy. I've got to start going to church to make God happy. I've got to start attending Sunday school to make God happy. And you know what's funny? When a storm comes like COVID and takes away church, and takes away Sunday school, and takes away all of our normal things that we do, what's our faith built on then? Me and Jennifer in March went to a conference. Um, There's a conference up at the Billy Graham Training Center. And it was talking about, the whole topic of this was what is post-pandemic church going to look like? And one of the things that they said, it's true, 20% of your congregation will never return. Now as a pastor, I don't take that personally like, well, they don't like me. As a pastor, here's what I take it as. Did I really do my job equipping them with a life of faith and not a life of works? Because there is a huge difference. There's three things I want to point out to you real quick this morning. Because when it comes to these people, you've got to understand something. These people were present. They attended. They were there. How do I know they were there? Because Jesus says, anyone who hears, to hear something, you have to be present. This isn't one of those things like, if a tree falls in the woods... Does it make a sound? Yes, it makes a sound for crying out loud. Trees don't grow silent just because you're not there. But at the same time, we have to realize that these people were present. And being present is very important. But is simply being present enough? Because these people are present not only once before Christ, because they had to hear the message, they're also present before Christ a second time. And what does he say to them at this second time? Depart from me, for what? I never knew you. And over the years, when it comes to what we call church, we have developed some things that, I'll just be honest with you, they've embraced 
And they've even grown a cultural Christianity. One of those things is what most pastors call the CEO Christian. You know what a CEO Christian is? Christmas, Easter only. CEO. What are these people? Well, these are the people that we go after. These are the people that we target. There are companies, this is no joke, Tommy can tell you about them. There are companies that will send us things in the mail that they will do all the mail outs for us to get us what? To our Easter and Christmas services. And over the years, me and Tommy have battled with this a lot. Because here's the thing. With that mentality, you know what it does? It makes us put a lot into that one service. And when we put a lot into that one service, you know what a lot of people expect the next week? They expect it to be even better. I can't do no better, Tommy. Don't tell everybody else, but I can't do no better than what I'm doing right now. And what that creates in me, what that creates in him, and what that creates in people is an expectation. An expectation when something like COVID comes around that crushes what they held to as their faith. Regular attendance is another thing. And again, guys, I don't want you to think that I'm a slamming attending church because that's not what I'm doing. Attending church is very, very, very important. The encouragement that I got this morning, I wouldn't have got it if I'd stayed in bed. But average attendance... Over the years in Sunday school, we keep reports. We do this checkoff list. You know what I'm talking about? And then we used to do this thing at the end of the year to where if you had perfect attendance, you got a piece of paper. You can take that piece of paper to Jesus, and he's probably going to laugh at you. Because is that perfect attendance going to get you admittance? No. Because your attendance in itself is not enough. But you know, one thing that we've also done as Christians, and we've got to be careful with this. We also, we also, in the same way, make attendance a mandatory thing. You know, as Christians, we have polite ways, or as believers, we have polite ways of, um, of getting at people. It's things like, where have you been? We've missed you. These are only polite ways of putting on a guilt trip, guys. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I love it when people do it because one thing that comes to my mind is, if you miss those individuals so much, why didn't you pick up the phone and call them? If you miss those individuals so much, why didn't you get in your car and go visit them? If you miss those individuals so much, why did you not take the initiative to yourself to find out what's going on? We do these little things not thinking anything about them, but they're innocent. They're so innocent, Scotty, we're just checking on people. No, you're putting an obligation on people that Christ never put on us. And if you really want me to put an obligation on you about church attendance, read Acts chapter 2. Because it didn't say that they met in the temple every Sunday. It didn't say they met in the temple every Wednesday. It said they met in the temple every day. 
but I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to get you to see that these people were present. These people were present when Christ gave the message. These people were present, and they still missed it. Being present isn't enough. Not only were these people present and they attended, these people also heard, guys. They heard. They heard the message. And they acted, but even that acting wasn't enough. Some of the best listeners in the world, some of the people who are honestly the best listeners in the world are people who are more of the analytical, um, people who are more of the moral, people who are more of the rule-type people mindset. They listen. They listen very good. Why? Because that's the way their brains are wired. They can't help it. They want to know. They want to know why things work, but they also want to make sure that everything works the way it is supposed to. I'm not this person. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not a rule follower. I don't like rules. Be honest with me. How many rule followers do we got today? You can raise your hand. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay, seriously. Because before I get done, I'm going to get you to see the importance of not only following the rules, but also how ridiculous it can be as well. Quick question. Where's my steak eaters at? How many of y'all eat steak? What's your favorite steak? Ribeye. Oh my gosh, I wish y'all could see my notes. I got it wrote down right here. How did I know it was a ribeye? Because a ribeye is a piece of meat. It's a beautiful piece of meat. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's got this beautiful marbling all in it. And that marbling is the fat of the animal that just gives it so much flavor. And you know what happens if you cook that piece of meat too long? It's horrible. It's like a piece of charcoal. You sit there and chew. I got boot leather if you want to chew on something like that, okay? Seriously. It's absolutely horrible. But we love that steak. And a lot of us love it cooked to somewhere between medium to medium rare. Here's the problem with that. Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17, says that we should not eat fat or the blood of any animal. Mm. Where's my gardeners at? How many of you garden? Raise your hand. What all do you got in your garden? What all do you got in your garden? I hope you're talking about a certain kind of weed, not the other kind of weed. I'm going to have to be careful what I start asking. What did you have planted in your garden? You had things like tomatoes. You had things like corn. You had that nasty stuff called okra that not even a pig will eat. You had cucumbers. Mm. You had squash. Who said squash? Oh, my gosh. Let me ask you a question. Did you plant them all in the same place? Did you plant them all in the same field? 
Well, here's the problem with that. Leviticus 19, verse 19 says that you should not plant more than one seed in one field. One type of seed in one field. Where's my fashionable people? Who's the most fashionable people we got? No, not you. All right, Weston. Weston's raising his hand. Weston is a very fashionable young man. Good job, son. Weston is a very fashionable young man. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, over age, I've got really picky about my clothes. These type of shirts, I am very fond of. We found these a long time ago. They are 100% iron-free shirts. Praise God for iron-free shirts. The only thing is, if you look on the back of this tag, it will say that to make it iron-free, it is a blend of one fabric and another. Well, the only problem with that is the same verse that said you should only plant one seed, one type of seed in one field, also says that you shouldn't intermingle garments as well. How many parents do we have here today? Raise your hand. You ever have one of those days when you did it from a distance? Their little heads would fit right between your fingers. You ever have one of them days? If you hadn't, soccer is tomorrow at 6.30. Come on and help me. But even later in age, those kids can get absolute rebellious sometimes rebellious to the point that they even curse you as a parent any of you ever had your child curse you I have at six years old they learned it from their mama not their daddy okay so give me a break but honestly just being real with you all of you have too question for you. Is your child still alive? Yeah. He is? Good. But there's one problem with that. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 says that if a child is disobedient, if a child is a cur curses their parents, if a child is a drunkard or a gluttonous, they must be stoned. There's all kinds of laws that we don't even realize. How many bosses do we have in here? Anybody a boss? Do you know that according to the law, you're not even supposed to hold your wage overnight? That a wage is supposed to be given to the people who work for you on a daily basis. Did you know that? Mm -mm, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't know this as well. There is a time during a woman's life monthly life that during this time according to the law she is considered unclean you know what you're supposed to do with your wife husbands you're supposed to put her out of the camp I am not telling you to do this I am not telling you to do this what's funny is I brought this up in Sunday school one time and one woman said um, during that seven days I'll volunteer to go out of the camp don't worry
Whenever we think about the law, what do we always think about? The ten. The ten. That's the ones that we hold to. Not nine and a half, hush. <laughs> we always think about the ten, don't we? We always think about those because those are the ones we remembered. Those are the ones that we were taught. Those are the ones that were part of what we were supposed to do. And a lot of people will say, well, those other laws weren't from God. Oh, yes, they were. Those other laws were just as much from God as the Tim were. And these laws, and I love the way Nathan put it this morning. He put it in a great way. What was the law all about? It was to show us how God was. Not how we should be, but how holy and how righteous he is. That, I know it sounds crazy. You don't intermingle fabric. But when you think of God, what do you think of? Do you think of mixed things? No, you think of purity. You think of holiness. You think of reverence. The law was a teacher. But you know the only problem with that teacher? There's one thing that the law could never teach. And it is the one thing that is required of our salvation. Law can't teach faith. Law can teach us how to do things. Law can put a standard on our life. And guys, do not think that I'm sitting here saying you ignore all the laws because that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying here is these people, the ones that he's talking about here, these were the law keepers. They were law keepers to the extent that they added over 600 more laws to the law that was in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy just to make sure that they didn't break the law. These people were exceptional at keeping the law. These people were probably, I know they were better than me. And humbly, guys, they were better than you also. But was being a hearer of the law enough? Was keeping the law enough? See, here's the thing, guys. If we want to hold a standard to one person, and we're good at this, we cherry-pick rules, don't we? You've got to hold to this standard. You've got to hold to this standard. And we put, we probably got a top 20 list of laws that we think you should follow, don't we? I think it should be a law that if you're driving the speed limit, you should be in the right-hand lane. If you want to go beyond the speed limit, I think the left lane, the lane should be up. That's a law I just think should be in practice. But even when it comes to the real laws of the word, you've got to realize this. If you're going to keep one, you have to keep them all. You don't get to cherry pick. And you say, Scotty, how do you know that? Because you're not God. You're not God. You don't get to pick which ones you follow and which ones you don't. He is the standard. You are not. I am not. And who are we to think that we could even compare to his standard? Being present, it's not a lot enough. Hearing the word, it's not enough. But you want to know what else these people did? These people did something else. They also made a decision. 
These individuals were present. These individuals heard a message. These individuals made a a decision. And just to get straight to the point, I'm making a decision because I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I've done this a lot. Guys, some some decisions are life-changing. Some decisions are life-altering. Some decisions are are heartfelt. But many decisions are nothing more than empty words. I make a decision on a daily basis whether I'm getting out of bed or not. When these people heard the word of God, they may not have made a decision towards what it was saying, but these people did make a decision on the word of God. Regardless, whenever you read the Bible, whenever you pray, whenever you hear a sermon, you are making a decision. You're either going to act on it or you are not. There's no middle ground here. You're either going to do it or you're not. You're making a decision. And these people... These people made a decision. But the thing that we need to understand is this whole thing with cultural Christianity is it something that only we've had to deal with. Matter of fact, it goes all the way back to the apostles. It goes all the way back to the disciples. And in Galatians chapter 2, we find a little instance where Peter and Paul, right, do y'all know any two greater apostles than Peter and Paul? I mean, they're the ones that everybody know. So you would think they would agree on everything, wouldn't you? You'd think, but they're not. Matter of fact, this whole chapter is about an argument. What is that argument? Well, Peter, being Peter, being who he is, natural to himself, he can't help it. He's a rule keeper. He holds to the law, and he tries his best to hold to every portion of the law. Well, it comes a time when these Gentiles, or these people who are not Jews, are starting to come into the fold. These people are starting to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in what he did, and Peter and some other people in the Jewish council start doing something, start making these people do something to prove their loyalty. What'd they do? they made them get circumcised. Now, for a baby, this wouldn't be a big deal. For a 35-year-old man, this would probably be a huge deal, just being straight up. Not trying to be ugly, just pointing to what's going on here. And what Paul is trying to point out to Peter is the same thing that I just pointed out to you. If you're going to hold one law, you've got to hold every law. Listen to what he says. These two verses won't be on here because this just hit me this morning. But it starts off in 16. If you've got your Bible, start off in 16. The verses won't appear to verse 18. But in 16, he says, to pay, this is what he's saying to Peter. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, so that we may be justified by what? faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Has the law ever justified anybody? No. It says it right here. The law never justified anybody. It only incriminated them. In verse 17, but if 
while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. Where this idea come about that once we get saved, we become perfect. Wherever it come about, I have no idea. But it's the stupidest thing that I've ever heard before in my life. And I'm just being straightforward, guys. This is ridiculous. To think that people will be perfect once they come to Christ. Will things change in their life? Yes. Will it happen right away? No, it will not. Will it happen over a period of time? Yes, it will. Will they ever get to a point to where they look like Christ on this earth? No, they won't. No, we won't. Because we are constantly battling being found sinners. Is Christ then the minister of sin? Absolutely not. May it never be. Listen to what Paul says then. For if we rebuild what I have once destroyed, I have proven myself to be a transgressor. So what Paul's saying here is if once, if once we are believers in Christ through faith, through faith, through grace, a gift given to us, if we go back to trying to hold to the law, we're trying to rebuild what was destroyed. And when we rebuild what was destroyed, what does it say it makes us again? This isn't loss of salvation. But Paul is trying to drive home a hard point here. And here's what he sums up with. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live in God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now have in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, what does it say there? Here's a harsh statement, but it's one that I really want you to hear. Last week I talked about how every one of us have got an idea of what the perfect Christian is. And most of the time when we think of the perfect Christian, we think of the individual that we see in the mirror every morning. We think we've got it down. We think we've got it perfect. And we think people should not only look like us, but act like us, talk like us, and do everything that we do. Well, here's the only problem with that. When you hold to that law, what you're doing is you're telling Jesus that he died for nothing. And I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. My cross didn't die for nothing. He died for me. Because I can never be good enough to, be, to achieve his standard. I will never be to that point. I can't vote enough to achieve that standard. I can't give enough to achieve that standard. I can't put on enough masks to achieve that standard or take off enough masks to achieve that standard. I can't take a vaccine to achieve that standard or not take a vaccine to achieve that standard. And what I'm saying here is something that was sent to me last week because I had no idea this pastor had preached on this a couple of weeks ago. And it rocked my world of what he was saying. Because I'm going to speak honest to you. Why? Because this isn't my church. This is Christ's church. And not only do I not like what I see in me, I don't like what I see in the church. 
It's not about a mask. That doesn't make you a better Christian. And not wearing a mask doesn't make you a better Christian either. Taking a vaccine doesn't make you a better Christian. And not taking a vaccine does not make you a better Christian. Voting Democrat or Republican doesn't make you a better Christian. Nothing besides our faith in Jesus Christ is what makes us a good Christian. So let's stop. Let's stop with all the bickering back and forth and let's get back to what we're supposed to. Because brothers and sisters, my faith is on a rock and that rock is called the gospel. And that rock is that I never could do enough to be loved by God. I could never do enough to be accepted by God. I could never do enough to make myself right with God. So he sent his son to die for me. He lived a perfect life. He lived without sinning once because it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And he gave his life so that I could have his righteousness. It's not my righteousness that saves me. Our righteousness will never save us. Our obligations will never save others. And we got to stop holding people to a standard that we couldn't even hold up to ourselves. Where's my steak eaters? Where's my fashionable people? Where's my gardeners? Where's my parents with disobedient children? Why are we doing it? I'm going to tell you why we're doing it. Tom, if you will, come on up. We're doing it because of the same reason why these individuals did what they did. We're doing it because of learned behavior. See, we don't realize it, but what we're watching, what we're viewing, what we're taking in on our little screens or big screens is changing us. It's changing us. Depending on what news station you watch, it will influence you to one side or the other. And I know as a Christian, I've got a lot of values. I've got a lot of beliefs. But I also got a hold to what Paul told Timothy, and that is a good soldier does not entangle himself in civilian affairs. And brothers and sisters, politics is a civilian affair. You want to change the world? There's only one thing that changes the world. That's the gospel. Not how you vote. Not what you put on your face, in your arm, or not put on your face or in your arm. You want to change the world? Give them the gospel. Scotty, how do you know it changed the world? Because it changed me. It changed me. And you know what, brothers and sisters? It changed you too. Somewhere along the line, we've become creatures of behavior. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like what I see in myself.
How about you? Father, your heart cuts. Cuts bone, cuts tendons, even cuts through the marrow. And it cuts, Lord. Because of my sinful body. Father, I do. I desire to be like you. But just like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, Lord, it's always a battle. And that's why more than ever, Lord, I hold to the gospel. Because the gospel set me free. I never feel like I have to measure up again, Lord. I never feel like I have to reach a standard. But at the same time, Lord, the gift that you've given me makes me constantly want to project an image of you. Help us to do that, God. Help us to not allow what goes on around us to become learned behavior. These people, Lord, these people that we read about today, they were present. These people heard, and these people made a decision. And this morning, Lord, I'm asking us to make a decision. And I'm asking that we choose Jesus more than anything in me, Lord. I choose Jesus. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. As we stand and as they sing, the invitation's clear. You're going to make a decision. You're going to make a decision, bud, no matter what you do. Just make your decision clear. Tommy. Tommy.